0: It's August 3rd, 2016, and of course, welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science and technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan
1: Ozawa. First off, we won't be able to resist talking a little bit about Instagram stories, but then we're going to look ahead on the local tech calendar. Rich Pyle and Mike Wilson are here from the Bishop Museum to tell us about a new exhibit. Also, Beverly De Silva from the ESA Law Firm is here to tell us about an upcoming tech conference.
0: And, of course, finally, after the break, we'll find out about the latest launch of Project EMUA from NASA's flight facility in Virginia. Joining us are Joe Ciotti, Director of the Center for Aerospace Education over at Windward Community College. And, of course, students, Kale Meckler from Windward Community College and Ankar Nehru from Honolulu Community College.
1: What does it take for a university or community college program to get a payload into space? Of course, we also welcome your comments and questions. As part of that conversation, you can contact us by calling in or tweeting us after the break.
0: Now, you know, I first uh, was feeling a little comfortable with Snapchat stories. I kind of like the filters. I kind of like the stickers. I kind of like just the way that it would disappear. In You're a millennial at heart, I get a it. Middle, yeah, yeah, at heart, but not in body. But No. My heart, yeah. And mine, maybe a little bit. (laughs) But all of a sudden, yesterday, I see all these references to Instagram stories. Like everybody's on Snapchat going, is this this Instagram or is this Snapchat? So Instagram came out with something very similar.
1: Right, it's effectively a wholesale borrowing of the posting format of Snapchat. Instagram is frequently... uh, Almost criticized sometimes for being the overly curated, too perfect presentation Mm -hmm. of your life. You on the beach, you with your Mai Tai, and not perhaps when you're doing the laundry or feeding the cat. That sort of stuff ends up on Snapchat where it disappears after 24 hours. It's more spontaneous, less... Perfect. So, Instagram is saying, no, 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 no. We will take some spontaneous, imperfect stuff too. We will also make it disappear after 24 hours. So, effectively, they've shoehorned Snapchat into Instagram. And I think it's actually a pretty smart move, but I can see why perhaps Snapchat loyalists are a little annoyed.
0: Well, when you start to decide as you go about your everyday activities, Are you going to treat Snapchat stories differently from Instagram stories? Are you gonna have a a different story to tell on the different platforms?
1: Well, generally people don't have a lot of room in their life for more than one or two of these networks. And I think a lot of people might have prioritized, younger people perhaps, either Instagram for that perfect uh, ramen bowl shot and Mm -hmm. then Snapchat for walking the dog. Mm -hmm. Now they're saying, Instagram is saying, you don't need to do both. We can take both of those things. And I think effectively they might push Snapchat out. For that demographic, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who love Snapchat, they're loyal to Snapchat, but I think what Instagram is doing, a Facebook property, by the way, is limiting the people they would lose to Snapchat.
0: That's true, that's true, because uh, I do notice that there is uh, uh, quite a bit of activity maybe going towards Snapchat, but now with Instagram, they can keep those people.
1: Well, I will say that Snapchat's interface is almost is actually by design kind of confusing, confounding, even infuriating and using the equivalent on Instagram is actually pleasant mm-hmm. and fun. Mm-hmm. So, I wouldn't say it's a direct copy. I think it might even well, be better.
0: Well, okay. Well, I'll stick around with Snapchat because I love the face filters.
1: Well, if your face needs filtering, absolutely that's a Yes, the place uh, for I you. think
0: mine does. Well, we want to also now uh, welcome Rich Pyle and Mike Wilson. They're both from the Bishop Museum, and they're here to tell us about a new exhibit called Journeys, Heritage of the Northwestern Hawaiian Islands. We want to welcome both Rich and uh, Mike. Thanks. Hi. Now, this uh, exhibit has been in the works for how long? Uh, we've been working on it for about six months now. Mm-hmm. And, and what area does it really cover? We were talking about Papahanamokuakea. I mean, what, what is it about— this, uh, you know, natural reserve that is going to be featured on, on this uh, exhibit. Okay,
2: so Pavan Hanaumokuake is a, is a national marine monument, and it extends about 1,200 miles. Is that right, Rich? Something about that like that, yeah. Yeah, so, and we'll be discussing the entire thing. It includes about nine islands and atolls, uh, roughly, and that includes everything from Nihoa and Mokumanamana, which are less than 200 miles away from Kauai, all the way to Kure, which is about 1,200 miles away from Kauai. And so it's a massive piece of of land. It's actually the largest monument or national park in the world. And there's talk about making it even bigger. Uh, And we'll be talking about the culture, the science, the research. And our museum, the Bishop Museum, has been researching it the entire existence of the museum. So we'll be talking about that as well.
0: Well, Rich, uh, what is it that you're going to be featuring from a, from a subject matter standpoint?
3: Well, we have all kinds of aspects. Uh, one of the things I like about this exhibit is it sort of blends different themes together. so one theme is natural history about mm-hmm. the things that live in the ocean, the things that live on the islands. Um, another theme is cultural importance, and there's tremendous cultural value to these islands and, and integrated with the, the Hawaiian history and then there's also sort of a realm in the middle, which is recent history, things involving like the Battle of Midway and other ship. Wrecks, whaling shipwrecks and things And so we have this nice spectrum of different Themes represented within the within the Exhibit. My role is mostly about The natural history, particularly the underwater That's what I do at Bishop Museum. I'm an ichthyologist I study fishes, um, and I go diving Up there every year, so so That's my part of it, but I'm excited about The whole exhibit and how broad It covers the this incredible place mm-hmm. Well, we've certainly enjoyed
1: covering various Expeditions to Papahanaumokuakea And uh, different exhibits that come To Bishop Museum, but I think that it fair to say that uh, I-, I like to emphasize the locally curated things that are you know the traveling dinosaurs are fantastic they're always worth visiting I have small kids we're family members as well but something that is uh, curated in part with local experts local um, researchers and kind of talking about something that is local to us I think is is really compelling so as a tech show though I have to ask, you know, one of the things that museums are getting better and better at is being more interactive, being more audiovisual, being more multimedia. Um, are there going to be uh, anything on the tech side for people who are more of that persuasion? or Will geeks have something to enjoy at this exhibit?
2: Absolutely. One of the things we're working on is a sort of a simulated submarine environment, and in that will be a virtual reality experience. And uh, what we've done and what Rich has done, and he can talk more about that, is uh, shoot Virtual reality, 360-degree GoPro videos of a lot of sharks and seals. So you'll be able to sort of immerse yourself in that experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Mike, uh, there has been quite a bit of underwater footage as a result of uh, Noah's Oceanus going up to the you know northwestern uh, Hawaiian Islands. Will you be able to incorporate any of the videos that are you know, being produced as a result of those voyages?
2: Yeah. In the submarine, there's also a porthole that will be showing a, a whole series of videos, all of, of the underwater. And then in addition, there's another sort of beach video place that'll show all the on-land videos mm-hmm. sort of sequenced together. Well,
1: I, I can imagine the excitement, and VR is certainly a very hot topic now, whether it's for gaming or just for experiencing the world. But Rich, um, is there an application for this kind of technology in live science, or are we mostly talking about a, a wide wow sort of 3D presentation method?
3: Well, a lot of these technologies that end up filtering back into having direct scientific applications start out with the wow factor. And so we're relatively new to this technology. Um, It was my first cruise this past June that I've ever tried it. But basically you have six GoPro cameras on a special device that's shooting in all directions. And so you have to get all six cameras in sync so they're all shooting at the same time. Then you have to synchronize uh, the the different video feeds together and then special software stitches it together to create this virtual 360. And 360 doesn't just mean on one plane. It's on all Mm -hmm, planes. And mm -hmm. so you can look up, you can look down, you can look everywhere. And trying to capture those videos was a lot of fun and a lot of uh, of tremendous interest. But we also see scientific applications because we can run transect surveys that capture all directions. It's not just the bias of the the scientists, which direction they're pointing the video camera. It captures the entire environment. So we're exploring ways that we might be able to use that technology to actually do quantitative science Mm -hmm, as well. mm
0: -hmm. Now, Mike, you mentioned Virtual reality, is this uh, something that is viewed via a headset or a 360 screen?
2: Yeah, it'll be in a sort of a Google Cardboard, handcrafted mm-hmm. for the experience using a Google phone. Um, so it'll, it'll be a, a one-person-at-a-time experience. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Have you have you started looking at the the different kinds of virtual reality headsets that might perhaps be conducive to, you know, sort of contributing to the exhibit? Well, the, a museum has specific
2: requirements because it has to be always on, uh, which mm-hmm. VR usually you have a phone that and it only has a limited, so it has to be plugged in. It has to be tethered mm-hmm, so people mm-hmm. can't walk away with it. So there mm-hmm. are very specific constraints to a museum that you would not normally have with your normal VR Uh, at-home kind of experience. So we have to create something that would work that way. Right.
3: Now, Rich, I understand there's a a flight simulator component as well? Well, actually, Michael can probably talk more about that. But, yeah, it involves a battle of Midway. um, And, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and explain that?
2: So the battle of Midway was the the turning point battle that defined whether we would lose or win the war Mm -hmm. against the Empire of Japan. And we won it for a variety of reasons, mostly because of our uh, code-breaking abilities. But what we wanted to do was talk about this battle and immerse people into it. So the the way we decided to do it was a, a programming call, program language called Unity, which kind of creates a video game mm-hmm. or, or simulation. And we created an experience where you can either play as uh, or experience the battle either as a Japanese zero fighter going to attack the island of Midway or as an American naval pilot uh, fighting and trying to destroy uh, Japanese mm-hmm, aircraft carriers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, this is great. So, when does this exhibit actually
2: open for the public? It's going to open August 14th, and uh, from that point on, it'll be open for about six months.
1: Oh, I see, yeah, August uh, 14th through January 29th, although popularity might change that. Exactly. So um, where can someone go to find more information on
2: this exhibit? Uh, bishopmuseum.org. Very Fantastic. good. Fantastic. We'll link that in our show notes
0: yeah, as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll go out there and check it out ourselves.
2: Absolutely. Please do.
0: Of course, uh, thanks, uh, Rich and Mike, for joining us. And of course uh, <laughs> we have Beverly da Silva here and she's from ESA a law firm and she, she's here to tell us about this tech conference but we want to welcome you Beverly but first tell us what is ESA
4: I was hoping you would ask <laughs> <laughs> It's E S and A and you uh, were a law firm you know most people assume that's someone's uh initials but it really stands for envision strategize and actualize which is our our process our workflow we mm-hmm. do labor and employment Employee benefits, corporate governance, and it's about helping businesses envision their goals, strategize, and actualize it. And strangely enough, that's the name of our tech conference. Wow! (laughs) What a coincidence! (laughs) What a coincidence! And uh, but it's envision, strategize, actualize. Thought leaders' perspectives on how technology can transform Hawaii. So you know we want to gather thought leaders from different industries, different companies, from government, from for-profit, nonprofit to talk about um, what technology has done for their businesses, or you know, it's their horror stories, and um, then talk about what's coming up next. So there's a, a panel on um, people versus machines, which my pet title is my employee of the month is a robot. <laughs> 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 Working on that, and uh, the last one is um, building the city on the hill. So looking forward and seeing what kind of education to work pipeline we need to get. So what is it that
0: has prompted you, a law firm, to want to have a sort of a tech-oriented conference? Well,
4: a couple of things. Partly um, uh, IP and cybersecurity is worked into our practice And when you say
0: IP, you're talking about intellectual property? Yes, sorry,
4: intellectual property rights and um, licenses it's we approach it from uh its connection to employment policies mm-hmm. to what your employees do with their technology in the workplace and with your with your work product uh one of our attorneys who's also one of the moderators her name is sam sneed she's the i believe she's the only attorney right now who is uh c i p p certified so I have to read that to get it right it's uh, certified information privacy professional. Oh, I got it. See? So she, you know, that's, it, it's worked into our private, our, our uh, practice areas. Mm-hmm. But also it's, um, it's, it's bigger than that. You know, it's wanting to, um, I don't want to just say give back to the community, but part of our, our, our mission is to um, work on that education to work pipeline to, Connect the educators with the hr professionals with people who run companies to make sure that we're taking advantage of you know, what technology can do for the state and to be um, to have a workforce that's prepared to handle a lot of positions that come with it. Mm-hmm.
1: I see you have a lot of uh, familiar partners for this program. PCAT, uh, you have HCDC, Hawaii Pacific University, Hawaii Tech Support, PAXA, and some familiar names on the program, including our friend Ian Kitajima over at Ocean at That Man. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. But uh, you mentioned this people versus machines. you mentioned sort of the jobs of the future. A lot of questions are coming up as a result of automation, driverless cars, you know, Uber wants to let everybody get a next second income by driving at at least as long as we still need humans. Right. So is that going to be one of the angles you have expect your panel to be tackling?
4: I'm sure that will come up as well as, uh, you know, what does it mean for, for unions? What does it mean uh, as, you know, it's not just people doing the jobs, it's machines doing some jobs, but uh, how do you balance your human resources and your technological resources? So it's um, you know, it's assuming that you are going to have to not strike a, maybe not not a 50-50 balance, but it's going to be integrated, and how are we going to approach that?
0: Who do you want to have attend this conference?
4: We want, um, we say thought leaders, so you know, we, we want a range of people. We, we want some people that are, um, come to it from a purely uh, IT perspective, or from an HR perspective, Or from, you know, the, the person who owns the company who writes the uh, employment policies. So we, we want a range of mm-hmm. people as well as a range of industries.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you have also on the program for the uh, maybe the opportunities and pitfalls of technology, Donnie Dawson of the Hawaii Film Office. Yes. So you know among these other IT firms, research firms, R&D firms, HDDC, um, Donnie is an interesting name. So where do you see the the perspective of the film office fitting into this conversation? Well, I don't want
4: to give too much away, but I, I have a feeling we're going to have an interesting conversation on drones.
1: Well, they are <laughs> employed in the making of motion pictures. Yes.
0: Ah, I see. Thanks for the connection. <laughs> now, you mentioned the uh, workforce development yes. and understanding sort of the, you know, the pipeline from education to, to actually workforce. Uh, where do you see yourselves playing in helping to facilitate that, that sort of pipeline? Because you know, we've, we oftentimes have educators come onto the show, and we, we talk to people about the workforce development. But how do you see this conference perhaps sort of influencing that?
4: Well, part of um what we want to do is you know, we don't want to claim to have invented any of these ideas or these th- these initiatives. We know a lot of people are doing a lot of good things in in the community and we want to bring them all together or bring as many people together as we can mm-hmm. and um, kind of have them meet each other, network. meet each other, yeah, and and, and integrate it and um, you know, see where there's points of connection, mm-hmm. overlapping points, and maybe you can be um, stronger together, not to be political, but. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> it's sound a political conference. to me, but, you know. <laughs> well, you would be surprised these days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so for me.
1: Where so, where and when does this uh, conference take place?
4: It's August 17 mm-hmm. at uh, Aloha Tar Marketplace ah, in that would one be the of the HPU connection. Yes, yeah. the multipurpose room three, which is a very cool room, it's on the ground level. And it will be from eight to one thirty, which includes continental breakfast and and lunch.
1: So that is a Thursday. Uh, the I s- believe so August eight or seventeenth. It's a 17th, Wednesday. Yes. Ah,
4: seventeenth is a Wednesday. The perfect lead into our program.
1: Oh, <laughs> okay. that's so, true. If somebody wanted to register, participate, learn more, where should they go?
4: They can go to our website, which is e s a n d a l a w dot and look in our news section. We have an item on the conference. Or they can also just call me directly, seven two nine nine four one three, 9413 and uh, just say they want more information on the conference.
0: And we'll put it up on the, we have the Eventbrite link, so we'll put the Eventbrite link up on our show notes later on tonight, which should go up about 9 o'clock tonight. So. At bite marks cafe. So dot org. org. Yeah, very good, Ryan. I memorized that one. <laughs> <That'll be laughs> well, great. thanks, for Beverly, Beverly, for
4: joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I hope to see all of you at the conference. Okay, sounds good. We'll take a short
0: break and when we return, we'll be joined by Joe Siadi and students, Kale Mechler and Ankar Nerukar to talk about Project Imua. How do you
1: collaborate across four campuses to build a rocket payload and get it into space? Of course, we'd like to hear from you. If you've got a question, you can call 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighborhood at 877-941-3689.
0: And, of course, we're live in the studio. You can tweet us your questions at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
2: Aloha Kako. this is Kuana Torres Kahele, and I'd like to invite you to a day of music and hula in celebration of our beautiful islands and its public radio station. On August 7th at the Paliku Theatre, I'll be sharing with you in two back-to-back concerts, songs from my Music for the Hawaiian Islands CD series. Please go to events on hawaiipublicradio.org for more. Join me, Kuana Torres Kahele, at this festive HPR benefit, August 7th at the Paliku
0: Theatre.
1: This Saturday on Bridging the Gap, I'm doing an Afro-funky, brassy set with a little bit of boogaloo. We'll hear some fellow Kuti, zap mama, Nicodemus, and so much more. I'm Mr. Nick. Join me this Saturday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. for Bridging the Gap, here on another supported Ba'i Public Radio.
3: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally
1: produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred
0: Hearts Academy. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Joe Ciatti and students Kale, Mickler and Ankar Nerukar. Joe is, of course, the director for the Center for Aerospace Education over at Windward Community College and, of course, a project lead for Project IMUA.
1: Kale, meanwhile, is a sophomore studying aerospace at the UH Manoa College of Engineering. And Ankar is a computer
0: electronics and networking student or SENT at HCC. And of course, what are the mission objectives for Project Imua? And of course, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the Neighbor Islands. We want to welcome you all to Bite Mark's Cafe. Well, this awesome. is a pleasure Thank being back, much, actually. Yeah. Well, you know, it was almost a year ago that, Joe, we had you on to talk about Project Imua and That was really kind of a precursor to the first launch, which was taking place, and now you are into the second year, which is now gonna also launch later on in August. So tell us, how has the project sort of evolved over this last year?
5: What's exciting about it is that the uh, students are now in a, a project that's even more sophisticated than before. Uh, and they're, they're learning the, the NASA protocols that are involved in, in the career of being a NASA aeronautical engineer. And uh, I, you, when you listen to these students, you'll see how excited they are mm-hmm. about joining in a project that's hands-on, project-based, and that's real world. And this is the exciting part of it. That the, the, this is um, an assignment that's more than just a classroom assignment. This is an assignment where your project actually fails or succeeds on a rocket. Now, wasn't those same things regarding
0: the relationship to NASA and the protocols that you have to go through still there during the first year? And how has it changed, you know, like going into the second year?
5: Well, you know, it, it's a learning process, right? Mm-hmm. So th- the first year, you'll, you'll, you'll learn what each one of the different reviews are. And there are seven different reviews that these students had to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, each review has a different function, a different uh, purpose for it and as we go through the second year we realize that maybe we missed a, a portion of what was being required and so we we fine tune are our, our presentations for 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 NASA, and mm-hmm. they'll understand it better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now,
1: Kale Joe has a, had a, has a lot of great things to say about the students of the program, mm-hmm. program. You're one of the students in the program, a sophomore studying aerospace. This is something you want to do as a career. First of all, I'm curious, what was it that drew you into this particular program? It's not just a classroom, like Joe said. It's extra stuff. So, what compelled you to sign on?
6: I've actually wanted to get into space and rockets since I was a little kid. One of my friend's fathers worked for NASA, mm. and I remember doing a story. Uh, I did a report on him in fifth grade. I was 10 years old, and you know he was an astrophysicist. I'm like, that's such a cool word. <laughs> and then I found out what he does, and I'm like, that's even cooler. And so I've always kind of wanted to do this, and it's such an awesome opportunity to be able to get the chance to fire a rocket into space and build payloads which will go out on this earth, were so, you a
1: participant in the program um, last year as well? Yes, I was. So, one thing I'm curious about: are students assigned when he talks about the seven different reviews? And I, I hope we can cover those, you know, specific aspects of a mission that needs to get go, go undergo very intense scrutiny. Um, did you have a particular specialty, or was it a matter of going through all of those different uh, sectors yourself?
6: It each one has a specific like he said a specific goal hmm. and you, from a concept to testing that concept and seeing if it will work and seeing if it's not going to work how can it be changed so that it will work and throughout each of these you're learning more and more and understanding more and more about the payload and everything that goes into it as well as the, uh, the business aspect of it
1: well, Did of, you yeah? so did you come in um, say with the engineering bent or the business bent did you come in to find your home on the team or does everybody do everything
6: it's a little bit of all of those. I came in originally thinking I'm going to be doing some things, and now I've it's opened up my interest into other aspects as well. I've found a real big love of fabrication and design mm. and blueprinting. And I didn't have that before I joined, and it was a it was a cool skill to learn and utilize and find the passion for.
0: Mhm. Now, Ankar, uh tell me, how did you get drawn into getting involved with Project Imua?
7: Well, actually yeah, my story is kind of funny. Is uh, I was actually going for another internship, and I met uh, my my mentor, Will Smith, mm-hmm. uh, in the hallway when I was going for that for that other uh, internship meeting. And he said, "You know, this is an opportunity that you have here, and um, would you like to join us?" And I said, uh, "Let me think about it." And I got back to him in a couple of days and said, "You know, um, I'd love to join you guys. You know, um, what do need to get started?" So so,
0: Ankar, was it? Um, is this your first time involved with helping build the payload, or were you also involved with year one?
7: I was. Uh, this is my second year. I mean, I, no, no, no. For my first year doing first year this. Yes.
0: And and how did you feel? Like, in which way did you wanted to get involved? I mean, what? How? You know, I think there's like 29 people yeah. kind of involved with this project, right? So there's a lot of people. Uncle, right. How did you fit yourself into? So what
7: you do? Uh, he. Uh, my professor, he just said, uh, there's a space open, you know, we need to work on these cameras that are going to be fixed on, you know, on the payload, and we need someone who can work on that for us, and would you be willing to get those set up and uh, m- make sure those are working mm-hmm, for us? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, you know, why not? It's a good challenge, you know, my first time, uh, and we'll see how this goes. And I'm really enjoying myself, it's fun, interesting, um, every day is a new learning experience, Uh it's challenging, you know. It's not <laughs> yeah. a, it's not an easy task, you know. Just like you said, um, you know, we are working as a group of four, of, of four campuses and getting on the same page. Sometimes gets difficult, but at the same time, it's it's part of the job. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to learn it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so Kale, when you talk about uh, co- collaborating across campuses, you are affiliated with Winworth Community College. You are all studying at UH Manoa in the engineering department. You have uh, uh, Ankar over at Honolulu Community College. What is how, how do you keep everyone on the same page across an island or, in fact, across islands?
6: Well, Google is very helpful for this. We utilize a lot of the different Google aspects. We Google Slides, um, Google Documents, Google, Google Drive, Groups, Hangouts, all these different aspects that Google allows people to work with. And it really helps for getting group meetings together between people on different islands. And you can do video conferencing where you actually can see what you're trying to explain and you can share documents and share, share photos and share data instantly to everybody through the Google Drive or mm-hmm. uh, Google Docs and stuff. So and this is
5: through the implementation that the university has system-wide, I would imagine. Right. Yes. right. Yeah. yeah, But, you know, there, there's still nothing that beats face-to-face connections with the students. And today we, we did that. We had all four campuses represented at uh, Windward Community College's uh, aerospace lab. Where we we did a, a full mission simulation test,
0: and and th- this is an important uh, actual uh, event because part of the requirement is to do this sort of uh, mission simulation. And this morning was the reenactment or the 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 well, simulation of the actual launch. Right? Could c- kind of walk us through the period of time that you would be actually testing? What is it that you you went? Like five minutes before, the no, three minutes before, five minutes after? I mean, what was the right. sequence what, what, what of events? What you're doing,
5: you're, you're, you're literally you're testing how the rocket, uh, how your payload is going to do during the entire flight of the rocket when the uh, rocket is active with its power on, on the experiments. So three minutes before the launch, uh, the rocket powers up your equipment that you have specified. Mm-hmm. So not all equipment has been specified to be powered up. Our first equipment that gets uh, l- uh, powered up is the neutron detector. And that will be uh, powered up, uh, getting ready to boot, because it has to go through a computer boot uh, system. It gets fully booted up uh, within that three-minute period. And then at uh, T0, at launch itself, the the next power sequence comes in, and then we power up uh, our second uh, computer, which then activates our Mobius cameras that, uh, that Ankar is in charge, uh, right. also activates a stepper motor that gets ready for the launch of our Scubber rocket that Kiel can tell you more, more about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then throughout the next five minutes, because it takes five minutes to, to uh, do the full experiment, over the next five minutes the, the rocket is accelerating uh, first through a, uh, a five second first stage burn, then it goes through a, a 12 second burn for the second stage, then the rocket has to be stabilized. Uh, it, it's spinning all the while, which keeps it stable in its flight. But then there is an um, uh, a- uh, attitude control system that, that s- slows down the rocket so it's no longer spinning. And the next stage, then the, the skirt has to fall off because all of the experiments on board have to be exposed to the void of space. Mm-hmm. And so we, we wait for that period to come along. And then by about two minutes into the flight, uh, 120 seconds, uh, then Scubber is getting ready t- to be launched, and so we're, we're watching all these things on on our dials, making sure everything is happening, making sure that Scubber is uh, released from the payload at uh, a minute and twenty second, uh minute, uh, two minutes, uh, one hundred and twenty seconds from the from the launch itself. And and uh, these students are just monitoring all the dials and making sure everything is going well. Do
0: you actually simulate the launch of this uh, this Scubber? Do you actually uh, we, have it?
5: Well, I'll let, I'll let rem- Kale, uh, yeah, yeah. So,
0: so Kale, tell us a little bit about the experiments before we get into the detail of what actually takes place. So, give us a uh, like a high level. What are some of the experiments on this payload?
6: Well, we actually have six different individual experiments that are going on on, on this payload. Uh, each one designed by different campuses and mm-hmm. then integrated all on Windward Community Campus College. Uh, so we have SCUBBER, which is S cubed R. It's a super simple sublimation rocket.
0: So, and then explain sublimation.
6: Sublimation is the transition of a material from a solid state to a gas state instantly with no liquid phase in between. And as that happens, uh, it expands in its volume. And as and so we, we're utilizing the expansion of the volume and we're forcing it through a nozzle to mm-hmm. create a microthruster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we use the material naphthalene or mothballs because mothballs in the void of space where there's no pressure – do sublimate in in the environments that we are going to be having there. So we're going to utilize that and gain uh, data and understanding about how it works as a micro thruster. So material.
0: so this little scrubber rocket um, basically is part of the payload. It's going up on the rocket. It's going up on the sounder, sounding rocket, right? It Correct. has it has you know the 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 sheet gets gets uh, removed. And then this little bitty rocket, which is probably about maybe 7, 8 inches long?
6: Yeah, about that, between uh, 7 and 10 inches, because we also have two onboard cameras on the small rocket also looking back over it, mm-hmm. back at the big rocket. Mm-hmm. So, And,
0: <laughs> and uh, it's it's uh, the sublimation process doesn't create a high amount of thrust. No,
6: right? not at all. It's, that's why it's considered a, a micro thruster. And we've done some preliminary vacuum test uh, testing of it, of the material, and found that it is Actually, even lower than we expected, but that was because the vacuum chamber couldn't get to a full void like it's going to be when it gets to space.
0: Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. Now, for that uh, launch last year, there were seven higher education institutions with payloads aboard this rocket. The Project IMO team was the only community college team or with community college participants that were participating. And when you're describing these additional thrusters or you know, sort of the deployment of the individual experiments, I'm wondering, Ankar, I mean, is it like a traffic jam up there when it's time for these to be deployed? How do you basically adjust for the fact that your payload isn't the only payload that's trying to get out there and do uh, observations?
7: Well, uh, y- y- are you talking about more of in the laboratory or more once it's up in the yeah, space? Yeah,
1: in, in space, when, well, when, they're ready to, when it's ready to, to be deployed.
7: Well, I mean, that's just uh, part of the test. You, I mean, you, you got to trust of what you built. You know, you just uh, If you built the thing and you tested it in the lab, and once it goes up, they just got to pray that – Okay, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna launch. It's gonna it's it's gonna do its thing that we, we told it to do, and you know the whole part of science is if we don't if it doesn't if it if it goes it'll go, and we have made it to, to do so. But if you know if, if it doesn't you know happen, you know it's just. Okay, what did we do wrong, and what can we do to next year to fix it? Mm-hmm. Is it a matter mm-hmm. of a trap door opening or a,
1: a nose coming off? I'm just trying to envision what the deployment. Uh,
7: you know, no, it's you uh, like.
6: So yeah, we're gonna it's gonna be launched on a stepper motor, which is then gonna just go off into space, and it'll have an initial velocity that'll take it out of the way of the actual rocket, the big rocket, and then with the other payloads, like you're asking, if there gets traffic each of the payloads kind of, as they're going through all these processes, they ask for certain directional things and if you have deployable things that move outside of where the rocket's gonna go. And they kind of work to make sure that nobody gets in anybody's (laughs) way. So there's
0: like a little flight control happening for the rocket with respect to the other payloads.
5: Right, and that's part of the the reviews that we go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, So by by presenting uh, what we need, uh, which direction we'd like to launch our rocket, Uh, Then they know which payload to pair with us uh, because there are, in this particular case, there are five decks that you can have. Mm -hmm. Some of the decks are split. So this time there are actually nine experiments on board. And so we're sharing a deck with one campus that was going to deploy uh, booms that would have some, um, um, I think they were uh, antennas that were going to pick up some radio sound. Uh, they were to do some ion, uh, ionic-spheric uh, measurements. And we had to make sure that they were deployed in the opposite direction from Skebber. Otherwise, there would have been a collision. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we we
1: take care of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, Ankar, you mentioned the work on sort of the uh, the imager or the, the camera. I know that uh, with the launch last year, the primary objective of the instrument project YMUA was putting in its payload was to make, um, was it uh, radiation observations or or. Or, a UV, or, oh, spectrometer. UV, UV UV spectrometer UV, 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 is that does, does that continue to be the main objective for this second uh, project or y-
7: yes that is uh, that that is still um, one of the missions that we are uh, we are doing as well um, you know like you said there, uh, Kale said there are six uh, there are six experiments on board and that's what's still one of them
0: mm-hmm. now uh, you mentioned earlier that there was a, a neutron detector also as part of the experiment I know that's Something that the uh, Kauai Community College folks developed. Could you could you talk a little bit about what's uh, what is involved with that experiment and what was it trying to detect?
6: Uh, trying to detect uh, cosmic, yeah, cosmic uh, radiation, neutron and gamma radiation, um, and so it uses specific uh, technology. There's scintillator glass and uh, photomultiplier tubes (PMTs) mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. put off a voltage that we can now read as these interact with the glass and bounce along, it releases little bits of energy that we then can read and kind of interpret as data for what is actually happening.
5: Mm-hmm. We, we know that there are neutrons in space. I and mean, We want to measure how many, what the flux rate is, uh, how fast they're coming towards the Earth. The sun sends uh, neutrons to us through solar storms. So when there's a solar flare, there'll be a, a major burst of uh, neutrons. This particular detector will pick them up directly. But some of the neutrons uh, are bounced off the atmosphere. What happens is a cosmic ray might hit the atmosphere, hit uh, uh, a molecule in the Earth's atmosphere, and out will come a neutron. Or Mm. a sun's proton will hit the atmosphere, and and you'll get some more. It's kind of like billiard balls Mm -hmm. hitting a a cue ball. And so we, we can pick up the neutron's directly from the sun or as secondary neutrons. Mm-hmm. And that's what this experiment is doing. So uh,
0: can, you, can you describe the flight pattern of this rocket? Because it's not a rocket that's going to leave the Earth's orbit, right? So what is the flight pattern and how much time do you actually have for your experiment to run?
6: Uh, it's going to be like a giant arc. It's going to go up uh, on the two-stage sounding rockets and it's going to go up to about 100 miles up. And space, technically, give or take, starts around 62 miles. So it's going to leave the atmosphere. It's going mm-hmm. to be in in space, but it's not. It's suborbital, so it'll fall back to the Earth and reenter into the atmosphere and land back in the water. So we really the time that we have to utilize our experiments is after it leaves the atmosphere and before it comes back in. Mm-hmm. So now, now,
0: um, describe a little bit about what the uh, what is a sounding rocket. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not a rocket guy, so. Where did they get the name sounding car Sounding, how do you explain?
7: Yeah,
6: well, sounding rockets utilize solid fuel. Like, uh, usually it's instead of like a liquid fuel rocket that is utilized in space movement. This one uses. Uh, incendiary burns fuel to create thrust.
5: Yeah, and, and the name also comes from basically how, how you would sound, make sounds in the ocean, mm-hmm. um, sound the depth. Mm-hmm. These were originally designed to sound the atmosphere, so to, to get uh, measurements of the atmosphere itself. So they're not designed to go into orbit. They're designed to basically go high into the atmosphere and in some cases just beyond the atmosphere into suborbital flight.
0: Right, so it's about a, about 100 miles up, is that
6: Yeah, correct? give or take. I think last year we got to about 96 miles. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I do want to hear more about the physics of the construction of these instruments. It sounds like they have to be pretty rugged to be deployed and to conduct these uh, very delicate experiments after being pushed out
0: of a rocket. Of course, we'll hold that thought, and of course uh, we'll talk a little bit more about these, these uh, cameras that, uh, Ankar, you had to build. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Joe Ciotti and students Cale Mickler and Ankar Nerukar about project imua of course we'd
1: love to hear from you too you can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us from the Browns at 877-941-3689 and we're checking on twitter as well you're listening to bite marks cafe the chris vandercook band and the powerhouse horns return to the atherton studio on august 13th with a blues retrospective they'll take you from earthy chicago blues to sleek modern jazz Join them on Saturday the 13th by reserving now at hprtickets.org or at 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice
5: Partnership, Wealth Management.
4: This composer of
0: electronic music is inspired by the sounds of his childhood in Alaska.
1: As I learned human music, I was already pretty well familiar with the sounds of the natural world, the sounds of the sea, the sounds of the wind, the various sounds of snow and ice.
4: I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason,
1: Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio.
0: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa,
1: and we're talking to Joe Ciotti and students Kale Meckler and Ankar Narakar about collaborating to build a rocket payload.
0: And, of course, you can give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Right before the break, we're talking about some of the actual engineering that goes into some of the experiments. And, and Ankar, I mean, you have been involved with the cameras that are instrumental in taking a recording of, you know, like the sublimation rocket and how it actually leaves the payload. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing uh, in terms of the, the video. And, and also tell us, you know, how you personally are kind of getting involved uh, to understand how, from a visual standpoint, you know, this all all works together.
7: Well, okay, so these, these cameras that we are uh, deploying are called Mobius Cameras. And uh, what they are is basically your, your camera you can put in your dashboard and at your home. It's a really mm-hmm. small camera mm-hmm. in, your, in your car. It's like a dashboard cam. And we're basically taking that apart and using just the, the motherboard and the lenses of it and, uh, and making it work for us. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we're taking it apart, we're firing and putting the pieces into... Uh, so we have a little box on the payload, which we put all of the the electronic components in, which is the motherboard basically, and the SD cards where they are all stored, and so we need to seal those water tight. Uh, so um, when when the payload go- gets exposed to the atmosphere, and when it comes back into uh, comes back and it hits the water, mm-hmm. we are uh, they're sealed and it's able to get the data recovered instead of being destroyed right, <laughs> by right, the elements right, right, right. um and these uh these cameras so basically we have a fo- uh, one video camera and one photo camera and what they're doing is basically taking pictures of Scubber leaving and what we're trying to do is uh measure the diameter of uh Scubber's rocket which we already know and as it leaves we're going to find the velocity and the distance how far it travels mm-hmm. to uh, to see how fast it ha- um goes away from the the main rocket
0: now there are other uh, other cameras on the scrubber as well right and I, I i think that's that's part of the Kauai team's effort right yes but tell us a little bit about how that camera c- uh communicates back to the payload
7: so uh the Kauai team's uh camera will will be on scrubber, will be on scrubber, and it'll be facing back towards uh the rocket t- towards the rocket itself and their their rock, uh their cameras will be communicating via Wi-Fi, so there's there'll be a Wi-Fi signal from SCUBA connecting uh, talking back to the uh, instruments on board the rocket and. Uh, Doing wireless image of
1: photo uh, photos back and mm-hmm, forth mm-hmm. The, the data. now Ankar um I th- to be able to do the kind of work you're doing is already remarkable yeah. and working with optics and and technologies like that yeah. certainly remarkable but I think it's it's fair to mention that you are also legally blind you're visually impaired at least uh, and yes. to focus on something um, that works on collecting images and such I think is 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 pretty special but I I'm curious how that can be accommodated with your team and with everybody else. Well, uh, is it a challenge?
7: Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's no easy task. It is a challenge. You know, uh, my visual impairment has cha- it's been a challenge all my life, you know? And so being able to be a part of this team uh, is really, uh uh, 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 is pushing the limits of how, what I can do. And it's not impossible. You know, you just got to put your mind to it. You got to work hard. And, uh, you know you're gonna have to ask your team members. Hey, does this does, does look right? Is this okay? You know you have to go to your professors and ask. You know, um, ask uh, ask him or her. Uh, you know, um, uh, can you help me with this? You know, I can't put this uh, this screw in. In in, can you help me screw it down? You know, so so these small little fine details. You, I'm gonna have. I need. I I ask my team members as well as my professors to guide me through because, you know, I can't do everything alone. You know. Uh, I need I need that assistance to make sure but it's it's possible but you got to work as a group right That's a group effort
0: and and Kale, you know when I Went to visit you folks on that weekend a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. um, I noticed that there was a really good kind of working relationship that you had with Ankar. I mean it was it was like a you know you you had some team uh, Project that you had to both collaborate on can you can of tell us a little bit about how that relationship sort of evolved?
6: Absolutely. I mean, when he came in in this year into the project EMUA, you know, it, I hate to say this, it, was, it was kind of funny having a guy who's legally blind working on the optics aspect. Mm-hmm. But seeing that he he knows exactly what he's talking about and he knows exactly what needs to be done, um, it it is inspiring in a sense. And I just enjoy being able to work. Just everybody on the team is is nice. Nobody's gonna nobody's an uh, an unhappy person. Mm-hmm. And so. Mm-hmm it lends a lot to being able to work together easier because there's not a lot of attitudes that kind of go against each other. Everyone knows that this is all about the group team and making it succeed.
1: I would imagine that, sorry, that a lot of these, these tools that you're using and these technologies are already specialized. I would imagine that perhaps in the... The matter of uh, day-to-day life whether it's a supermarket or an elevator there are things right. that sort of come with them they're built in thanks to the advancement of right. civilization but when you're working with tools that are already specialized that even uh, you know bird or I would be f- uh, flummoxed by <laughs> I'm kind of uh, can you can you can you say Ankar? how you're able to interact with them
7: well uh, uh, you know when it comes to technology now this is going off talk above above about the rockets but just in general uh, you know, I use magnifiers. You know, uh, d- digital magnifiers as well as handheld magnifiers to to, to be able to read small print and uh, see small objects. As well as when I'm like, using the computer in, in and when I'm like I'm looking at my photo and my images that come back, I use uh, a screen reader and, uh, and magnifier to to see what uh, what the data has come back, and so I can see the details within the photos.
0: No, I, I don't want to put the you or Kale yeah. on the spot, but. Uh, you know when you work on a project like this and you have some deliverables and you have some protocols that that NASA is demanding right. do you feel us any sense during this process of of pressure the pressure that you know would have been uh, perhaps exhibited by some of your teammates and you know did you want to did you ever want to tell them hey, get off my back i mean I'll, you know i'm going to do it and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no. give me some
7: i mean definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there are those, there are those moments where you know you, you just want to work on your own you don't want someone behind your back kind of watching you but you, you know for the most part it, it's 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 a good collaboration and mm-hmm. people know when to give the space and as far as stress i mean there's always going to be stress it, 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 it's like a it's like a work environment it's like you're at a job you know this is not just a a cosmic experiment like uh what, what joe said it's you're you're phys- it's like you're at a job environment
0: well you know? and and it's probably a a high high um stress job because i yeah. mean you are delivering a payload to nasa which we will talk about because you have to go to virginia in a, in the next couple of days and right. and and actually watch this uh um rocket launch your payload into space
7: right
6: and throughout the entire thing we have these deadlines that need to be met and if they're not met then we don't fly yeah. and so that pressure definitely we we feel it when it's coming down to crunch time and but we also realize that getting mad at anybody isn't going to help get
7: the project done yeah
6: and Being not, supportive is more the is it's a better way to get everything stay late just get right. it done and right and it's not a, it's, it's not a
7: nine-to-five job you know uh, uh you know you stay late at school till like seven eight nine ten o'clock at night you even past them so, so, some of the students stay till like uh, uh till midnight mm-hmm. was uh, some mm-hmm. days you know uh so it's very very stressful you, you know it's just you 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 put your time into your work. Well, because mm-hmm. for example, Kale, you're studying at UH Manoa as well as participating in this program. Um,
1: Correct. You, it's not so much a matter of a grade, right? This no. project. So, how do you balance that? How do you keep your 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 own studies and that objective tied in with this team objective, where so many other people are relying on you, and there is an outside agency, NASA, that's also have have these requirements.
6: Um, I don't sleep very much. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Um, I always try to focus on my school because that's really why I'm doing this entire thing. If I ha- if I wasn't in school, I wouldn't get the chance to be in Project Mu in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that my studies are always going to be number one, and that's number two. Like it, it as far as responsibilities go and time, uh, dedication, they're they're definitely high up on priorities, and because you have to get it done because mm-hmm. you have 28 other people counting on the work that every person is doing. All right.
0: Now, Joel, you had the mission simulation today. I, I take it it was a, a, a success. Um, are there any things that you need to do now before everybody jumps on the plane and you ship the payload to Virginia? What's, uh, what's on tap now? Do you guys kick back, relax, or what's, uh, <laughs> what's <laughs> you're, happening? You're right.
5: This is the first time we can kick back, kick back and relax. Okay. Um, before that, it was a lot of stress. Right now, the, uh, the payload has been proven uh, to, to be very successful. We had had one minor failure, but we think that's intermittent. But uh, everything else is working perfectly. So tomorrow we're going to pack it up, and then it'll be ready to be shipped uh, across the the mainland to Virginia and we'll be all ready for the launch. So we're in really good shape. But like they were saying, there there, there was stress uh, before our first trip in June because we still hadn't had the payload fully integrated. And uh, the students realized there was a hard, fast deadline coming up. And it was coming up really fast, and we had a lot of students under stress on that time. And they learned very fast is the difference between a school deadline, which has some flexibility, and a NASA deadline, which is totally inflexible. There was one team, by the way, that actually lost their position uh, on the manifest because they weren't ready at, on the right time. And so the students learned real fast that there's no flexibility. And so um, right now we're pretty satisfied that we are we're in really good shape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Now uh, uh Kale I, I want to hear a little bit about the electronics that is on board the payload. I mean you have a couple of Raspberry Pis. What is uh what is powering that camera that's on the nose of the scrubber rocket and is there some, you know, battery pack in there? And it
6: what- is. It's a, it's actually a six battery thing inside of that specifically to get the voltage right for the Wi-Fi for the gumstick that has the Wi-Fi uh, transmitter on it. And so it's all stacked in there. And Kauai CC worked really hard to get that to, to work appropriately. And so that's that's got its own coin cell so batteries. Everything else is powered through the rocket uh, power cores that come in mm-hmm. and go through our uh, power conditioning boards and out through other parts into each individual payload. And they come out at different voltages for different payloads. And so it has to go through all these Raspberry Pis and uh, just to get all the numbers correctly for everything to work.
1: So I would imagine there's a power budget, right? So there's this amount of baseline power coming from the rocket. There's this much of power you are responsible for providing yourself over that to power your equipment. I mean, does it come down to like, oh, we can't have that uh, chip? We can't have that LED because we don't have enough power in our, our budget?
6: The power budget is pretty is a pretty large uh, amount of power budget coming into the rocket. And so I think we're very much under our power budget. Very it, much under. And so it's not that much of an issue. It's more how are we going to get different voltages from one power source to each individual payload that takes a different level of voltage. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. We do have other considerations, and that's the weight. And that is that can be tricky sometimes. So you're allowed 15 pounds for each payload. A uh, plus or minus half a pound, and until the very end, you really don't know how much your weight is going to be because you're always adding um, connectors, you're adding extra wires, uh, some tape, uh, and we we did fairly well this time. We came up to just over 15.1 pounds, so we're in good shape.
0: You know, one of the things that I I recall seeing, which was a surprise to me, was that you have to have a certain weight distribution for your payload as well, right? Because you can't have all the weight like on one side of the rocket because it would affect perhaps the spin. So you actually have some what I guess call it lead weight that's counterbalancing so that you have a more distributed
5: weight across the entire payload. Exactly like a a tire on a car, right? You you have your lead weights to to balance it.
6: Yeah, because our neutron and gamma spectrometer – were a a lot more massive than all the other payloads combined, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was on one side of the payload. And so in order to balance it, it has to be within an inch of the center and has to balance on a one-by-one-inch piece from the center of your payload to make sure that there's no uh, weights that are going to pull it in one direction or another. So we had to add in almost three pounds of lead. Huh on the opposite side of the payload just to balance everything Adding out. Adding weight, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: So uh, Ankar, for your equipment, where, did they have to pull off things or throw things out?
7: <laughs> well, l- lucky the cameras are, uh, are small enough where they don't add too much weight. So, uh, no. Uh, yeah. So, so
0: so Ankar, you know, yeah. when you get your uh, uh, recordings back, uh, will you be posting them up on the website? What will you be... Well, I, I know you mentioned that you will be able to see... Uh, and detect the, the 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 velocity that the uh, scrubber is leaving. Right. Um, will you be able to show that as a uh, let's say up on the website and kind of show your analysis? So
7: what I'll do is after I get the, the data back, what I'll do is I'll create a scatter uh, a scatter chart okay. plot and you know create that and show that to the uh, my teammates and my group here. And along with that is the photo and the videos will be posted on our Google Drive so everyone can see it in the, in the sequence that, you know, it, it came out. So, uh, it'll be available to the, to the whole group. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And, 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 Joel,
0: um, so this is the third, this is the second year. Can you give us a little sense as to what do you have in
5: mind for year three? Is there going to be a year three? We're, we're actually, uh, thinking about it. Uh, it's going to need uh, additional funding because our funding is running out after the second year. Uh, we're looking at possibly improving on Scubber. We might add a mm. heating u- u- uh, element to it, and so if to you get heat the, the p- to get those
0: mothballs to let go exactly, the, let go get those the moths out of the, the <laughs>
5: <laughs> out of the nozzle. Yeah, we, we want the mothballs to to sublime faster. Uh-huh. The more sublimation you have, the greater your thrust will be. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're looking at maybe even improving the cameras. Right.
7: Yes. So even the cameras. So instead of having a fixed uh, lens camera, we can have like a swivel. A civil mm-hmm. lens camera, instead, it's a, a thought that I have in my mind, and I was thinking of sitting outside today.
1: Well, I hope there is a year three, but yeah. uh, I imagine you're both on going to go to see the launch. Is that correct? Uh,
6: uh, I'm, yeah, I think we're both going.
7: Correct? Uh, no, actually, I I went in June the the past the, the, the uh, for the integration mm-hmm. in, in Wallops. Ah, uh, I, I see. Um, so um, Kale is going to be going. Yeah, so, how happen.
1: will people who aren't as lucky as Kale be able to watch? this uh, launch?
5: NASA usually streams its launches, and uh, if you look at the NASA TV website, they usually stream at ustream.tv. So if you look at that website, ustream.tv, you'll be able to see the launch. The launch is usually at 6 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Daylight Time. So So here in Hawaii, about midnight. midnight. (laughs) So what day is the launch scheduled for? Our launch is, the primary time is August the 16th. Uh, there is a contingency launch for the next day, the seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that could um, interrupt that might be weather, or we might be in a uh, in line with a fishing boat because uh, that coastline of Virginia has a lot of fishing ships, and so they're usually uh, advised to stay away from the launch site. But sometimes they stray in. I mm-hmm.
0: gotcha. Great. So we'll post up the uh, the link to the stream and and Kale and I guess what you're gonna have a bunch of tea, a bunch of people going up with you.
6: Yeah, I think there's going to be. Eight or nine of us going up wow, on this trip. Oh,
0: great, great. So we'll definitely uh, put that up there and and everybody can follow on August 16th the live launch of Project IMUA from Wallops uh, Flight Facility over in Virginia. Well, Joe Ciotti is the director of the Center for Aerospace Education over at Windward Community College. And of course, students, Hale Meckler is over, uh, well, he has allegiances to Windward, but he's also at UH Manoa, and of course Ankar Nerukar is from Honolulu Community College. I want to thank you all for joining us today.
5: A pleasure sharing this with thank you. you. Thank, thank you, for thank you so, so
0: much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week and we'll talk about new discoveries of even more
1: Exoplanets,
0: Exoplanets our favorite topic. Of course, you, if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And of course, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive
1: producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And
0: we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's Building Rockets and a song called Melancholy Girls. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. song
2: I know, and it's hard to sign cry. She's a melancholy. Stop streaming